0: First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, you turn with me to Job chapter 42. Job 42. Uh, For the last uh, four weeks, we've been walking together through this uh, story of the book of Job, and we've been talking about what to do with the suffering that we all experience in our lives. And some of you know firsthand uh, that sometimes the suffering that we experience in this life can be so intense that it feels like your whole life, or at least the foundation that your life is built upon, has been completely shattered. That's what it was like for this man in the Bible named Job. Job's whole life was shattered in one single day. And even though Job didn't know anything about it, we as the readers of the story know that God had allowed Satan to afflict Job in order to demonstrate the genuineness, the authenticity of his faith. And so Job, who before this time was a very wealthy, prominent man lost everything he owned and all 10 of his children in a single day. And then a little bit later he was afflicted with painful boils that covered his entire body. And after all of this had happened to him, Job's wife told him to stop clinging to his faith and to just go ahead and curse God and die. And then when you think it couldn't get any worse, Job has these three amigos that come to him and give him a a plethora of speeches about how all of these bad things had happened to him because he was such a terrible sinner. And, And Job knows that this is not true, but he can't do anything to prove them wrong. And so as you read through this book, in the midst of Job's frustration and pain and grief and and even loneliness as well, he begins to, to cry out to God. And as you look at some of the words in this book, you'll see that even though Job never loses his faith in the Lord, he does come right up to that edge of accusing God of being unjust in the way that he Governs the world. And so, what we saw last week, beginning in chapter 38, is that God enters the story and he speaks directly to his servant Job out of a whirlwind. And the Lord tells Job that he didn't really understand what he was talking about. The Lord begins to teach Job and to teach us how he knows everything how he has all power, how he is perfectly just, and because he is, we can and we should trust in the Lord, even when we do not understand what is happening in our lives. We'll see today that God had a certain ending in mind for Job's story, just like he has a certain ending in mind for your story. And for my story, but before the Lord brought that ending about, again, he wanted to correct Job. He wanted to put Job in his proper place before him. And so after hearing everything the Lord had to say to him and this correction that comes to him from out of the whirlwind, Job is finally ready to respond. Let's read his response and how his story ends in chapter 42, starting in verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take for yourself... Seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite went and did as the Lord commanded them, for the Lord had accepted Job. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had had before. Then all his brothers and all his sisters and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house, and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, for he had fourteen thousand sheep. 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys, and also had seven sons and three daughters. He called the name of the first Jemima, the name of the second Kezia, and the name of the third Kirin-Hepuk. And in all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died old and full of days. Father, we thank you for this word that you have given to us. Father, we pray in the midst of suffering, we pray that you would speak to us. We pray, Father, that you would help us to trust in you. Father, help us to know the end that you have in mind for each of us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know where everybody is this morning in the story of your life. I know we have some children who are here, and we pray, Lord willing, that they are in the first or second chapter of their story. There are some here who perhaps are on the other end of life, perhaps in the final few chapters that the Lord Would give you in this life. There are some who are right in the middle chapters of the story of your life. You're raising your kids and you're right in the thick of it. Depending on where you are in your story, I don't know how much suffering you have already experienced or how much you're going through right now or how much. And God's sovereignty lies ahead in the future, but I do know that all of us will suffer at some point or another because you cannot live life in this fallen, broken, sinful world without experiencing some suffering. And I also know that like Job, there will be times when we suffer when we don't understand why and we don't understand how what we're suffering fits in with the story of our life That God is writing. And so here is what I really hope that you will hear today as we look at the end of this story of Job. In this life, just like Job, we will suffer in ways that we don't understand. But if we know God, He is writing our story, and the story ends well. There's no doubt, as you read the end of Job's story here, that his story ends really, really well. And that's a good thing. After this terribly dark story that we have been reading so far, we come to the ending of Job's story and we find that it is very bright, that his story ends well. And again, what I want you to hear today is no matter how hard life might be for you right now, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, your story will end well. I don't know if that happy ending will come in this life or in the next, but at some point in time, your suffering will end. Sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning for every child of God. And so as we read the end of Job's story today, and as we think about how our own story will end, I want us to see four parts of the end of Job's story that really stand out to me. What I want us to look at today are these four specific things that Job does or that God does in Job's life that he will also do in the life of every child of God in this room. And so first off, if we know God, our story will end well because God will humble us. I know that doesn't sound right off like it's a good thing, but I assure you that it is a good thing when God humbles us because without humility, we really can't meet God in the first place. Without humility, we can't grow in our relationship with the Lord either. Humility is the starting place for all of that. And by means of the two speeches that the Lord gives to Job in chapters 38 to 41, the Lord does humble his servant Job. He puts Job in the proper place before him. If you'll turn with me just a page or two to the left, you can begin that. You can see that beginning to take place in chapter 40. The Lord's first speech to Job is found in chapters 38 and 39. We looked at that last week, and essentially in that speech, the Lord starts out by asking Job, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? In other words, Job, where were you when I created this world? And of course, Job wasn't anywhere, just like we weren't anywhere And the Lord is making the point that there is an infinite knowledge gap between himself and all of us. Job did not know how to create the world. Job did not know how to sustain any of that which was created in the world. And so because of that, if you look at chapter 40, verse 2, the Lord says this to Job. Job shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. In other words, Job, is it right for you to challenge me? Is it right for you to question me when you do not understand all of the things that I understand? And you can begin to see the way that God is softening Job's heart. If you look at his first response there in verse 3, Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed No further. The the words I am vile there really mean uh, that I am of little account or I am insignificant. Now, Job wasn't saying that he was insignificant to God or that his life didn't matter. But he was saying that he realized how insignificant he was in comparison with God. And he realized that the one that he had been complaining against is the Lord of heaven and earth who knows everything. And so Job says, I'm laying my hand over my mouth. I've already said too much. I'm not going to say anything more. Some people believe that while this was a good reply from Job, that he still wasn't fully submitting himself to the Lord because even though he said, I'm not going to say anything else, he did not yet recant any of the things he had already said. And that may very well be true but still, what Job says here is a good starting point for us just to stop talking and to start listening and to put ourselves in a humble position before the Lord. And, and many of us, I think, have a hard time with that, right? Because many of us, if we we're just being honest, we, we kind of always think that we know what's best. And we kind of always put ourselves in that role of the teacher, and everybody else is the student, and yet that's not the case, and it's certainly not the case when it comes to God. When it comes to our relationship with God, we have everything to learn from Him and nothing to teach Him. And the truth of the matter is, you can't even hear the good news about Jesus to begin with until you come to that breaking place of humility where you say, God, I and insignificant in comparison with you. You are the Lord of heaven and earth. I put my hand over my mouth and I am all ears. Lord, you tell me what you want me to know about how to live my life. That's where it has to begin. Well, then in chapter 40 and 41, God gives his second speech to his servant Job. And in that speech, he basically challenges Job and the fact that Job had almost begun to think that maybe he could do a better job than God did of governing his life and governing the world. And so over the next chapter and a half, as we saw last week, The Lord talks about two specific animals, the behemoth and the leviathan. And and essentially the takeaway is, Job, if you can't even handle these two great animals that I have created, then how on earth do you think you can govern everything else? And why do you think that you'll do a better job than me of governing your life? And so the Lord drives that truth home to Job by means of that second speech. And then if you flip back to chapter 42, it's after hearing all of that, that Job begins to respond to the Lord a second time. And Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. And so Job starts really with just an outburst of praise. He says, Lord, I know you can do everything. I've heard so much now about all that you can do. There's nothing that you cannot do. He says, God, there's no purpose of yours. There's nothing that you want to do that could ever be thwarted, that could ever be stopped by anybody else. And then in verse 3, Job quotes something the Lord had said to him way back in chapter 38. He said, You asked, Who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. He admits that he didn't fully understand everything he was talking about, and that there are some things that God understands that we do not understand at all, that we just don't know. And that we may never know this side of heaven. And then in the end of verse 4, he quotes something else God had said. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. And I think he's just acknowledging by quoting that, that the Lord has every right to question him. And also acknowledging that he didn't have the wisdom to answer God's questions. He says, God, I don't know the answers to your questions. But I know that you do. And then down in verse 6, he says, Therefore I abhor myself. I despise myself. And I repent in dust and ashes. Now, Job was not saying that, and I want to be clear about this. He wasn't saying that as if he was agreeing with what his three friends had been saying all the way throughout this book, that there was some specific sin that he had committed that was the cause of of all of this. Job is not saying that, but God has brought him to a place where he has realized how prideful and presumptuous it was for him as a mere man to challenge God's authority to govern this world in the right way. And so in the strongest possible terms, he he recants from that and he turns away from it. And how awesome is it to see that at the moment that Job does this, at the moment that he recants, Nothing in his life at this point had changed. Think about that. He, he, at this moment, when he says these words, he is still penniless. He still has nothing. He still has no family to speak of. He still most likely has sores and boils all over his body. We have not been told that he has been healed from that. And so it's in that condition when really nothing in his life had changed. And yet God had changed the heart of his servant. God had humbled Job. And that God-produced humility in Job's life was evidence that Job belonged to him and that Job's story was going to end well. Humility is so important because, again, without it, a person will never come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior to begin with. Because we'll be too proud to admit that we need saving. We need to be humbled and broken in order to come to know Him. And friend, maybe that's what God is doing in your life right now. Maybe He's humbling you and breaking you and bringing you to that point where you realize how much you need God's forgiveness, because we all do. But even for those of us who have been humbled in the past, and who have come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, there is a continual need for God's grace to keep us in that place of humility where we can grow in him. The Apostle Peter wrote these words to believers when he said this. He said, Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. It's the grace of God that humbles us. It's the grace of God that keeps us in that place of humility. And it's that same grace of God that will sustain our faith all the way till the end. That's part of what God did in Job's story that he will do in ours if we know him. Here's another thing. That God will do in us who know him. It's also a part of Job's story ending well. God will reveal himself to us. One of the most beautiful verses in all of Job is verse 5 of chapter 42. Where Job says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eye sees you. Isn't that beautiful? Job had been taught about God before, and we know from the beginning of the story that he already had a relationship with God before all of this had happened. But now, Job has experienced God personally and directly in a way that he had never experienced before. Now, Job hadn't just heard about God. Now, he had seen God for himself. Now, now to be clear, Job didn't see God in all of his glory directly, of course. We know from elsewhere in the Word of God that it's not possible for a man to see God in all of his glory and live to tell about it. That's what God told Moses. And yet, as God spoke to him from the whirlwind, he was able to see a glimpse of the glory of God. He was able to hear God speaking directly to him, and his life would never be the same because of that personal, life-changing encounter that he had. With God in the whirlwind. He went from hearing about him to experience him fully and directly. You know, uh, growing up, uh, I heard about this uh, this thing called a Philly cheesesteak. I wonder, are there any Philly cheesesteak fans that are, that are here? I mean, what is not to lie? Meat and cheese and bread, it's just goodness, right? And I, and I had heard, heard about it and, and, and I had even experienced kind of a Florida version of that, right? A, a, a Melbourne Philly cheese steak, you know, and it was it was just okay. But when I was in my early 20s, there was a summer that I spent up in Philadelphia uh, preaching at a youth camp every night. And, and about once a week or so, we had, we had an off night. And, and so I remember early in the summer, those of us who were working at this camp took a trip down to downtown Philadelphia, and we went to Geno's, right? There's two famous Philly cheesesteak places there, Pat and Geno's. And, and so we're in Geno's, and, and this is quite an experience. It kind of reminded me of the Soup Nazi episode of Seinfeld, right? Where you you got to know what you're doing. You've got to you say it in a clear, direct voice and then move to the left, right? And if you dilly-dally, uh, you're probably not going to get your food, right? And so, But once I got through the line and I got my food and I sat down at the table and I unwrapped that cheesesteak and I began to eat that cheesesteak, I said to myself, self, I have heard of a Philly cheesesteak before, but now I have seen it. Now I have experienced it. And as silly as that example is, you know what? There is a big difference, isn't there, between hearing about something and experiencing it. And that's true with all of life, but it's especially true when it comes to God. And so, friend, can I ask you something? Can I ask you this? Have you just heard about God or have you actually met God? Because there's a big difference between those two things. There's a lot of people who've heard about God. A lot of people who think some things about God. A lot of people who can pontificate about God and what they think that God is like, but they really don't know God. And it's, it's not enough, friend, to come even to this place every week and worship and to hear things about God. That's not enough for you to be saved, for you and me to be saved. We have to meet God in a personal, direct, and saving way. We have to move from hearing some things about Him to seeing Him with the eyes of faith to being changed by Him. And all of that happens when you open up your heart to God's Son, Jesus Christ, and cry out to Him to save you and to come into your life. And maybe that's the step that you need to take today. But Maybe you're here today, and again, you've already met God in in a personal way. You do know Him as your Savior But but you know something else? I believe that when God lets us go through times of suffering, even as believers, that we learn much more about God through those experiences. That's why in Philippians 3, Paul says, I just want to know you, Christ. And I want to know the fellowship of your sufferings. What a strange thing to say. I want to know you, And I know that I will know you in the fellowship of your sufferings as I suffer with you. There are things that we learn about God firsthand that we cannot learn on the mountaintop that we can only learn down in the valley. And maybe there are things as you look back on your Christian walk that you had heard about God, but now because you walked with him through that valley, now you have seen it firsthand. Maybe you had heard that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, but now you see it. And maybe you had heard that he comforts those who are afflicted, but now you know it. Maybe you had heard that his grace is sufficient for you, but now you have felt it. And so you can say with Job, not in spite of your sufferings, but precisely because of your sufferings, oh God, I have heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Of course, we think about how as Christians, our story is going to end well. We think about how by God's grace, we're gonna be able to live with him forever and ever and ever. And you know the best part of all of that is being able to see God face to face. John wrote to us in 1 John 3, Beloved, now we are children of God, and yet it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What a day that will be. I want you to notice with me now a third part of this good ending to Job's story, which is also a part of the good ending that there will be in our story if we, like Job, know the Lord. One day he will vindicate us. Certainly the Lord vindicated Job completely at the end of this story. And you see that in verses 7 through 9. After Job's reply to the Lord, the Lord speaks to Eliphaz, who was kind of the leader of these three friends of Job's, and he says to him in verse 7 My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. He corrects Eliphaz and his friends, and this is, as we have said many times in this series, such an important verse to understand when it comes to correctly interpreting the book of Job. Because what we're reading here is that the speeches of these three friends, which comprise really the majority of the book of Job, we are hearing from God directly saying that much of what they had to say isn't even right. And so we need to keep that in mind as we're reading through the book of Job. We are reading the, 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 the speeches of three friends who are musing together about their friends' suffering when God himself tells us at the end of this book that they do not have the foggiest clue what they were talking about. Now that does not mean that everything they say in this book is not true, but it does mean that it did not apply to Job. He says that you haven't said what is right about me, God says. They were being overly simplistic in the way they were describing God, and the way they were describing the way that God governs the world. And he says, what they've said about me is not right. I cannot imagine how satisfying all of this must have been for Job. Because throughout this entire book, right, over and over, he's been asking God, send me someone, send me a judge, send me an umpire, somebody who can call the balls and strikes, somebody who can just announce to the world that I'm right and they're wrong. Because I know that in my heart. I know that there's nothing that I've done that has brought all of this about. And yet they keep on saying it. And here at the end of this book, Job gets exactly what he has been asking for. God himself shows up and says, Job, you are right, and these bunch of losers are wrong. Isn't that awesome? It was a vindication kind of moment. Now, some of y'all may not know that I've I've had a rough week in the world of sports. Um, I'm, I'm actually at least as big an Atlanta Braves baseball fan as I am a Florida State football fan. Neither one of those have gone too well this past week, but uh, last week, I went up to see game one of uh, the playoffs, took one of my boys with me to watch the Braves and the Cardinals, and they lost that game. But then we listened to game two as uh, we rode home from Atlanta in the car. And there was a point late in that game, as we were listening over the radio that our manager, Brian Snicker, he, he took out our starting pitcher who had been doing great this entire game. And he took that starting pitcher out to put in a pinch hitter. And I said to my son, this is the wrong decision. This is not going to go well. He should have left that pitcher in the game. This guy's not going to get a hit. Now we're not going to have that pitcher anymore. Our bullpen's going to come up. We're going to lose this game. You watch. I said, the only thing that would make this decision right is if this pinch hitter hits a home run right now. That's not going to happen. And wouldn't you know it, like two seconds later, that pinch hitter hit a two-run home run. And I said, just like I said, that manager is a genius. (laughs) After the game, people interviewed Brian Snicker, and they asked him about that. In that moment, actually, the fans were booing when he made that decision. And they said, well, how did you feel when the pinch hitter then hit a two-run home run? And he said, and I quote, that was a booyah moment right there. (laughs) A booyah moment. I like that. It was total vindication. Well, Job had a booyah moment right here where God shows up and he said, they're wrong and you're right. And that's the end of the conversation. I hate to, to burst anybody's bubble here, but when it comes to us, When it comes to our lives and the situations we find ourselves in, when people are falsely accusing us, maybe, like they were Job, when people are maybe mocking us for being a Christian, calling us all sorts of names, you may wish that God would do what he did here. That God would just show up and say, this is my child, and he is right, and you are wrong. But most likely, that's not going to happen. Most likely, in this life, God is calling us to trust him and to do what's right, even when people mock us, because we know that our God sees it, and our God knows what is right, but one day, church, we can know that our booyah moment is coming. Because one day God will vindicate all of those who are called by his name. Yes, now we may be seen as fools for believing in Jesus, for following some itinerant preacher who lived 2,000 years ago. But one day we read in the book of Philippians chapter 2, Therefore God has also highly exalted him and has given him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That moment is coming. And we can know that. Like Job, our story will end well because God will humble us. God will reveal himself to us. One day God will vindicate us. Here's the fourth and final part of the ending to Job's story, which will also one day be true of us. God will restore everything to us. Starting in verse 10, we read about how that restoration happened in Job's life. It says, And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends, indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. You know, somehow for years, I read right over that part that says, the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Then Think about that. Job had already repented personally of of his arrogance and his presumption, that had already taken place. But it wasn't until Job prayed for his three friends that the Lord restored everything to him. If you think about it, praying for those three friends might have been a difficult thing for Job to do. It would have been very easy for Job to have been bitter with these three friends who piled on when they should have been propping up. And yet Job does forgive them and Job prays for them and Job asks God to forgive them as well. Job had received mercy from God and now Job shows mercy to these three friends and then the Lord blesses him and restores everything to him twofold. Now that does not mean I want to be clear about this. It does not mean that if you or I forgive everybody that we're holding grudges against, that tomorrow we're going to have 14,000 sheep or double whatever it is that we have now. If any book in the Bible destroys the prosperity gospel, it is the book of Job. That we are not promised in this life that we will be healthy and wealthy as long as we're holy. The story of Job utterly destroys that. But with that said, there are times when the Lord in his sovereign grace freely wants to bless us in one way or another, just as he does here with Job, and perhaps he is waiting for us or waiting for you to be obedient to him in some area of your life before he will choose to bless you. Verse 11, we read that Job's friends and extended family come, and they surround him at this point, and they comfort him, and they set up a GoFundMe account for Job. And Each of them brings him a piece of silver and a gold ring. And you know, one piece of silver and one gold ring from a lot of friends and family can add up. I believe this was part of the means that God used to restore Job. I believe that Job probably took the money that he received that day and bought some of the animals that we read about that then multiplied and turned into the twice the amount that he had had previously. It's, it's neat to think about how still today we can be a part of helping a brother or sister get back up on their feet. when we're generous with them the same way that Job's friends were with him here. I, I've always loved the beginning of verse Twelve, where it says now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. Certainly that was true materially speaking. We're going to see that in just a minute, but I think that more than that is implied because the most important thing that Job received at the end of this story wasn't all the stuff. It was a deeper, more mature relationship with God, and that by far is what made his latter days on earth even better than his earlier ones. But you know, earlier Job had said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. In other words, it's up to the Lord what he wants to do. And now the Lord decides he's going to give everything back to Job, double, and when you look at the number, numbers in chapter 12 of, of the sheep and the camels and the oxen and the donkeys and you compare it back to the opening chapters of this book, what you will find is that they are exactly double. Every animal grouping, he has twice as many of them at the end of the story as he did at the beginning. I think the Lord is clearly making a point, don't you? He is gracious to restore and he will restore double. Double. Now that's true with everything except for his children. Look at verse 13. He also had seven sons and three daughters, ten children. That's exactly what he had at the beginning. And he had the same ratio, seven sons and three daughters at the beginning. Now he has seven sons and three daughters at the end. And and I've wondered about that. I thought, well, why not double that, right? He got double everything else. Why didn't he have double children too at the end? And then one person pointed out, and once you see it, it's obvious to, to me now. Job's kids were doubled because ten of them were waiting for him in heaven. If you're here and you're a parent that has been through the terrible loss of losing a child, whether it was in the womb, whether it was right after birth, whether it was in their childhood years before they reached an age where they were able to respond to the gospel, What a great comfort it is to know that your child is waiting for you also and that one day you will be reunited with them. Verse 16 says that Job lived 140 years Remember, Job lived very early in the chronology of the Bible when people had much longer lifespans than we have today. And actually, what I think verse 16 means isn't that his total lifespan was 140 years. Rather, I think it means he lived 140 years after this. And in keeping with the doubling of everything else in this story, many people believe that Job was likely 70 years old when all of this happened to him. And then he lived 140 years after that, which would make his total lifespan 210 years. Now, the Bible says a man is blessed if he lives to see his children's children, to the third generation. Well, again, Job was doubly blessed. The text says he got to live to see his kids to the fourth generation. Generation. And then verse 17 says that Job died old and full of days. This is the Bible's version of he lived happily ever after. Job's life, like Abraham's, was a picture of the ideal life on earth, a life lived walking with God all the way to the end. Now, what what do I mean when I said that God will restore everything to us? I'm not saying that we are promised that if we've lost something in our suffering, that the Lord will always give it back to us in this life. In this broken world, there are times where we lose things that we do not receive back. Not every story in this fallen world has a silver lining or a happy ending at the end, but we do know this as children of God. We do know that one day, whether it is here or whether it is there in the new heaven and the new earth, that our God will restore everything to us and more. Because the Bible tells us that we are co-heirs with King Jesus and that everything in the universe belongs to Jesus and because we are co-heirs with him everything in the universe belongs to us as well and one day God will say to us enter into the kingdom that has been prepared for you before the foundation of the world God will one day restore everything to us and much much more You know, the New Testament references the story of Job in the book of James, chapter 5. It's in a section where James is talking about patience and persevering. And then he uses Job as an example. And he says this, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and have seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Well, the end intended by the Lord is what we've been looking at today. It's the end of Job's story. And we can see God's compassion and God's mercy in the end of this story. We can see God's grace at work in Job's life. Job didn't know that this end was coming. He didn't know what God was doing, but he persevered in his faith anyway. And friend, that's what God is calling you and I to do. As we read the book of Job, as we reflect on what it means for our life, It's a call to persevere in our faith, no matter what suffering may come. There may be parts of your story, there almost certainly will be parts of your story that you would not have chosen for yourself, but God has a plan, and God knows what he is doing. And he knows the end that he has intended for you and me. So let's persevere all the way to the end. Knowing what Job said earlier in this book is true. Look at Job 23.10. But he knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Church, we can know that because if we know God through faith in Jesus Christ, we know that he will finish what he started in us that God will preserve our faith all the way till the end. He is the one writing our story and if we belong to him, then ulti- ultimately our story is going to end well because our story does not end here. It ends there. And in fact, it really doesn't end at all. Because the Bible says that when we believe in his one and only son that we will not perish but we will receive everlasting life. But again, all of this, everything that we've talked about today is true only for those who know God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Friend, listen, how your story ends depends on whether or not you know the God that Job knew. At the end of this story, we saw how God told Job's three friends to take a sacrifice and to go to Job. And Job offers that sacrifice for them and he prays for them so that God forgives them. And and more or less, Job is acting like a mediator that's standing between these three friends and God and helping them to be reconciled. And as Job does that, Job is giving us a great picture of a far greater mediator than Job. Job is giving us a picture of his own mediator and his own savior, the one who would not just offer a sacrifice to God that we brought, but one who would himself be the sacrifice, who would give himself as a ransom for us on the cross. This is what Paul said about this one. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Friend, Jesus has made a way for you and for me to walk with God by paying for your sins and for mine, by giving himself as a ransom for many. But it starts with humbling ourselves and admitting our need for a Savior and receiving him into our life. I want to give you a chance to do do that right now. I want to ask you to stand with me if you would. And again, I don't know where you are in your spiritual walk with God. Maybe you've been coming through these four or five weeks of this series and and maybe when you came in, you would have to say, you know what? Because of some of the suffering that I've gone through in my life, my heart when I came in was kind of hard towards the Lord. I wasn't really ready to hear about Jesus because there were some things between me and God about some things that have happened in my life or maybe are going on right now. But maybe like Job, you could say that over this the course of just being in God's word these past few weeks that he has begun to soften your heart. And he has begun to humble you. He has begun to bring you to a place where you know that you really do need a savior. And if that's the case, I want to invite you right now as soon as we begin to sing to come and speak with me or one of the other pastors who is here and receive the grace that God wants to give you in your life. You're invited to come right now as we sing together.